We're going to read from Luke chapter 24. This is immediately following the story in Luke of the women who went to the tomb and found nobody. Nobody. Jesus then left them and went a couple other places, and then he ends up talking to a couple on the road to Emmaus. Let's read God's word now. Luke 24, verses 13 to 36. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said, What things? They said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our own chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us this morning. They were at the tomb. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road when he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned the seven miles to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. And they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed. The Lord has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. It's Sunday morning, and the foes of Jesus aren't having such a great day. They've had better days. I mean, there's this strange news going around that there's an empty grave, that there's Jesus sightings. At this point, the soldiers are are running for their lives. They're scared what might happen to them. The people 
that are starting to hear this story are starting to wonder, oh my goodness, I have a sick feeling in my stomach. We just said, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Did we kill our own Messiah? You have Pilate who's saying, I should have listened to my wife. You have Pilate's wife who's saying, I told you so. You have the elders who are working as hard as they can to dismiss the facts and engage in their own spinning of the facts. They have fake news to deliver. And then we have Lucifer. I wonder if Lucifer and his demons on this day are going, we have a real problem here, men. I wonder if our ultimate appointment with the lake of fire is at hand. Yeah, it's a bad day for Jesus' foes. And oddly, it's a, day, it's a bad day. It's, a, it's really a hard day for Jesus' friends. They're not so excited right now. I mean, they're shocked about what has happened. I mean, Jesus told them this was going. He told them he was marching towards the cross. He was going to give his life, but they really never saw it ending quite like this. And they're sad. You'd be sad if you lost your son like Mary did, if you lost your best friend and Lord and Messiah. They're angry. Rightly so. You've got to hate injustice, and there's been nothing but injustice that has happened in Jerusalem during that final week. Some of them are ashamed. It was the final chapter, and we didn't stand tall. He stood tall for us, but we failed him, especially Peter. Fearful. I mean, some are venturing out. Some are going to the tomb, but the men, they're still in hiding. It's not safe for them out there. Confused. We thought we knew what was going on, but now we're just as blind as everyone. What are we supposed to do now? Doubting and hopeless. You'll see those words. Doubting. Slow to believe. Doubting. Disbelieving. And you see in the text where it says, we had hoped, using the past tense. Hope was in this Messiah. It was. But it looks like hope has been lost. Yes, it's Sunday and the foes of Jesus are not so happy. It's Sunday and the friends of Jesus are not so happy. But it's Sunday and Jesus is having a really good day. I mean, actually, it's that very day in the words of Luke. It's promotion day. It's the day when his stoop of humiliation is over and he's now entering into his exaltation. It's presentation today as Jesus is now like the debutante being presented in all of his beauty and splendor, never to be the man of suffering sorrows ever again. It's V-Day. It's Victory Day because he is stomping on the gates of hell. Death has lost its sing. Grave has no victory Satan is a defeated foe, and it is celebration day. I know that the saints in heaven were already singing and rejoicing when Jesus, maybe, and his new companion, the thief on the cross, went to paradise on that Friday. I'm sure they were singing. But can you imagine the ruckus in heaven on Easter Sunday? But then Jesus arose with his victory in hand, that's when death was arrested and my life began. I think we're screaming as loud as we can, and I think heavens were shaking. A day of promotion, presentation, victory, and celebration. Jesus is having a really good day. As a matter of fact, it's his day. He's going to start calling it the Lord's day. 
That's Sunday. And he's really excited about what's going on. So how is Jesus going to spend his first Lord's Day? He's going to spend it helping his hurting friends, blessing his friends that aren't doing so well. And so Jesus has four appointments on that day. The first appointment is when he goes to the garden, and there he finds some troubled women. They didn't go there to see the body not there. They weren't believing either. But they arose, they arrived, and they were told he has risen, and then Jesus meets with them personally. And you saw in the reading how they, they, they fell down on their faces before him, and they grabbed their feet, and they worshipped him. Jesus, on the Lord's day, spent his early morning hours encouraging his hurting friends. Where does he go next? I think he goes and finds Simon Peter, maybe around the lunchtime hour, where Peter may be hiding. Peter may not even be with the 12 right now. He may be off wondering, what in the world have I done? And Jesus Christ meets with him, and there is forgiveness. There is reconciliation. Shame is removed. What is Jesus doing? He's finding hurting, depressed, anxious, fearful, doubting, disbelieving, slow of heart to believe friends, and he's encouraging them. And I'm sure Peter is grabbing on to him. I'm sure there's a bro hug going on right there as they are locked up, and Jesus kind of says, I got to go, let me go. (laughs) I'm never letting you go, Jesus. Even if everyone else, oh, I've already said that before. (laughs) I am not letting you go. Maybe Jesus had to vanish then too. Why? He has his third appointment. And this is going to happen in the later afternoon towards the evening of the day as the sun is going down. It's time for Jesus to go love a couple who is really, really hurting. There are two people and they're on this road to Emmaus. I haven't been there. It's a seven-mile beautiful stretch from what I understand. It goes from Jerusalem to this little hobbit, this this village of sorts. And on this road, road are two people Cleopas and someone else. Some have thought it was a couple men. I personally think it may be Cleopas and his wife. In John, it talks about the wife of Cleopas there. So we have, I think, this couple, this man and this woman, and they are traveling. They're Jewish. We know they're Jewish because they say, our leaders put him to death. And Jesus looks at them and says, you should have known your scriptures. We know that they're friends of Jesus, for they had hoped he would be the Messiah. And we know that they're friends of the disciples as well, because they heard the report in the morning, and they know where to go find the secret hiding place of the disciples later this evening. And what are they doing as they're walking along? They're discussing. You ever been in a discussion with your spouse and it kind of gets heated and your kids say, why are you always arguing? And what do you say? We're not arguing, we're just discussing. That's kind of what's going on here because the first time it says they were discussing, but a couple of verses later, it uses a word that could mean debating, arguing with contention. They're having one of those conversations as they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Deep discussion. They're troubled, and what does Jesus do? He takes the initiative. He draws near to them like he has his first two appointments of the day. Why? Because he wants to help them. But he hides his true identity from them. Don't know how he does this. This this happens a couple different times in Scripture where people don't recognize exactly to whom they're speaking. Was it because he 
is just a funny God and has a sense of humor. There are lots of theologians who go there because this is really a funny story, as you're going to see in a second. I mean, he just kind of sneaks up. There, there are times in which I like to sneak up on Laura, and she doesn't ever appreciate it. She would really not appreciate it if I changed my identity and put on a disguise. Not good when she's at home. So Jesus doesn't sneak up, but he hides his identity. Why? Because he wants to let them talk? I mean, if he shows who he is, immediately they're just going to be falling on the ground, and they're not going to be expressing that pain in their heart. Maybe Jesus is a good therapist and understands the importance of letting people talk and get out, like in the Psalms when David would express his innermost hurts. Or maybe he wanted this story to progress so that he could teach them, and they would write it down so he could teach us. But he hides himself, even though he came near to help them. And he listens. He's noticed the nonverbal communication, I think, as their eyes are darting back and forth, and they are sad. It says that in the text. He notices their verbal communication as they are seriously discussing or debating or arguing over what has happened. And so our new visitor kind of says, can I walk with you? And I think they're like, sure. Everybody likes a stranger always walking with them. He says, what are you talking about? And they stopped. They were walking. They looked sad. It's like, what else are we talking about? We're talking about all these things that have been happening in Jerusalem. Then it was kind of a, a shocking statement to them. And then comes this snarky response, what else could we be talking about? And Now here's the humor of Jesus. What things? And, and then the humor of Jesus continues. He actually sits there and continues walking, maybe, doesn't sit. He continues walking with them and lets them tell him about what's happened in Jerusalem over the last few days. There was this guy named Jesus. I don't know if you ever heard of him or not. There's this guy named Jesus. He's from Nazareth. Don't give up yet. I know there's nothing good that comes from Nazareth. But this guy was pretty special, this Jesus. I mean, he was a prophet. He was mighty in word. You should have heard him preach and the miracles he did, mighty in power. It was all going well. We had hoped he would be our Messiah. That didn't work out real well. Our hopes are dashed. You know why? Because our rulers, they were the ones who put him to death. Worse than that, they crucified him. Now we're all confused. Now we're all hopeless. But then mind-blowing information comes this morning. There were some ladies who went to the tomb, found that he wasn't there, ran back saying they saw an angel, they heard he is risen, they saw the Jesus, they told the disciples. The disciples said, that's just a bunch of crazy women. They then said, we're going to go check ourselves and see. The women are sitting back at the room doing what? Saying, told you so. They get there, they find that the grave is empty, and this is all we know. Jesus, I think, is fighting back a smile. In the words of one man that I, that I really love here in this church, I think Jesus may have sat there and going, really? You don't say, how about that? I think Jesus is just smiling. 
but he's hiding his smile. Listening well. Then what does he do? Well, he's not there just to listen. This is one of the things that is interesting to me as I'm studying counseling is that it's very, very, very important for a counselor or a therapist to listen well. People will pay money just to have someone listen to them. And a lot of times there's non-directive counseling, which is never give anyone advice for who are you to know anything that might be able to give them some counsel, even if you had God's word in your vest pocket. But that's not what Jesus does. He listens really well. And he's there to meet these friends on the Lord's day to do what? Not leave them. He meets them where they are, but he doesn't leave them like they are. So Jesus helps his troubles of friends, and he assesses their condition. So Dr. Jesus thinks, listens, and then what does he do? He comes out with some pretty hard words, truthful words. Some might say, where's your tact, Jesus? You've got to be more gentle. He's looking at these people, sad, brokenhearted, hopeless, and he's looking at them, and what does he say? You are foolish. You are slow of heart to believe what? All that the Scriptures say. You're scripturally incompetent. You're ignorant. That's exactly what he says there. Oh, I know you're sad. I know you're confused, and that's not sinful. But what you are is foolish, disbelieving, hopeless, and scripturally ignorant. That's what he says. But he then he starts working with them, because that's what a doctor does. Dr. Jesus speaks truth. Dr. Jesus now starts teaching them truth. They have a reality problem. They have been informed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're looking at things that are going on around them, and those things are true that are going on around them, but they're interpreting them wrongly. They're interpreting general revelation wrongly because they are interpreting scriptural revelation wrongly. I mean, Jesus had told them, this is going to happen. The scriptures from Genesis all the way through Malachi that they had had told them this is what's going to happen. And so Jesus, as they're walking down the road, begins his biblical instruction, helping these people have a reality check, helping them see truth, helping them kill falsity. And while he's doing, while he's teaching and assessing and listening, their minds are being transformed by the renewing of their thoughts, according to the word of God. And their hearts are starting to burn. This is what Jesus does when he gives his word to people who are starting to accept it. Their minds are transformed. They're not conformed to this world. And their hearts start to burn. Jesus addressed their heads, and then he addresses their hearts and their emotions. Jesus has been pretending all along. He's pretending he's just a normal traveler. He's pretending that he's ignorant and doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem. He's going to pretend that, well, we're at home. They finally arrive at home in Emmaus, and he pretends he's going to keep going. They start begging him, won't you stay with us? Won't you stay? They strongly urge, the Greek says, and he says, sure, I'll stay the night. He's pretending again because we know that he won't. 
He's having quite a bit of fun on his Lord's Day. So he stays. They get things ready for dinner, and then something odd happens. Jesus is a guest. But the last time I was a guest at someone's house, I didn't play the role of host. But that's what Jesus does here. Jesus Christ stands up. He takes bread. He prays over the bread and blesses it. He breaks it and starts distributing it to the people. And at that point, their eyes are opened. Their eyes had been supernaturally shut by God up until this point. They were not allowed to recognize him, the scriptures say. Now they can't help but recognize him. Maybe they recognized his prayer language. Maybe they recognized the way he distributed the bread. Maybe as he was distributing the bread, they saw the nail prints in his wrists. I don't know. But their eyes were open. Jesus then left the building, but he didn't leave his disciples the way he found them. These disciples were met by Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus. They had prayed and talked and communicated with Jesus. They had been taught by Jesus. They had been fed by Jesus. Let me say that again. I want you to think of this. They had met Jesus, spent time with Jesus, communicated to Jesus, learned from Jesus, been taught by Jesus, and fed by Jesus. That should sound familiar to some place you maybe go every now and then. And their heads were affected. Their hearts were burning. Their feelings were changed. And that's just the beginning of what happened to them. Jesus now has friends who can't help but help other troubled friends. I know they just traveled seven miles. I mean, the last time I ran seven miles, what? it was a long time ago. I know dinner's on the table. I know it's dark out there. I know it's dangerous out there just because of bandits on the road, but also if you're a Christ follower, it's not a safe time to be alive. But they're going immediately, seven miles back in the other direction. That's 14 miles in one day, and they're probably going to go at a big pace. Why? Their feet are running because their lips have something to say. They are on mission. They have to testify. They have to spread the good news. They can't keep it secret. They have a story to tell to people. They want to boast in Christ Jesus. They want to share. They, they just got to go tell people. Why? Because there are other people like them back there. They, a few hours ago, were hopeless. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad to be sad. It's not bad to be confused. But they were hopeless, foolish, slow to believe, disbelieving, ignorant of the Scriptures. Now, they can see clearly what's going on. They have been blessed by Jesus on the Lord's Day, and it requires that they then go and find other people to bless. So they head back. They make their way. They get there maybe around midnight. Let's just guess. And what do they find? They do not find a bunch of apostles and disciples and their lady friends sleeping. 
They do not find them on that evening cowering in fear. They find them having church. It's a Sunday evening worship service. And what's going on there? They're talking about Jesus. They're giving testimonies of what Jesus had done in their life on that day. They're defeating error with the truth. They're talking about the scriptures they had learned. They're each sharing. They're each encouraging one another. It's an incredible church service of fellowship on that evening. And everybody is being improved. Except for Thomas, who's not there. I wonder if any of you have ever missed being blessed by Jesus and his friends because you're just not there. And then Jesus showed up. Jesus decided, I have my fourth appointment for the evening. And he who vanished in Emmaus shows back up in Jerusalem. And his first words to his gathered church, peace. So what are you going to do with this information? There's a hymn that we sing, Jesus knows all about our struggles. He does. He knows that there are hard things happening out there, just like there are hard things happening out there for the people in Jerusalem. Some of you are uh, unbelievably troubled by what's going on with the government and the different branches of our government. Some are more focused on the economic turmoil that's happening in the nation and in your own portfolio. There's terrorism that we're always concerned about and war. There's the philosophical insanity that you hear about on the news and witness every single day, followed by moral depravity, which flows from wrong thinking. Some of you are really troubled about the church. Like, it's just so weak. It's so impotent. It's, it doesn't connect with culture, or it's compromising, or I've tried to go there before, and it's just, you know, it didn't help me. But most people are concerned about what's going on in their own life. We know that there's some sovereign God out there doing his thing, but he's killing me. I've got health issues. This is my first Easter without a loved one. Or maybe next Easter, I don't think I'll have the loved one sitting beside me now. My marriage is horrid. I can't get married. My children don't exist because I'm struggling with infertility or my children are struggling with sin. Some struggle deeply with some certain sin and it feels like you're addicted as you're running to drink, to some medicine, to a drug just to take the, the top off a little bit. It may be pornography or shopping or something, but you're just, you've tried hard to get rid of that and say no to it, but it just hangs on. There are some who are really struggling with abuse. I hope not right now, and if you are, find us. We'll protect you and help you. Some are struggling with abuse that happened years ago. Theft, fraud, lawsuits. Someone's coming after your stuff your freedom. 
Some are struggling with unemployment or underemployment, with debt. Your mind and your body and your chemical makeup's not working well, and anxiety and depression are your unwanted friends every single day. And yes, supposedly God is sovereign and he's doing everything, but at this point, you're sad and you're allowed to be sad. And you're confused and you're allowed to be confused. Jesus knows all about our struggles. But he also knows how we sinfully respond to our struggles. Did you hear me? I want to say it one more time. Being sad, being angry, being confused, sometimes even having fear, is not wrong. There are righteous ways to exercise those emotions. But we go way beyond that, like the couple on the road to Emmaus. We should know our Bibles. We should know how God has dominated throughout Scripture. We should know our God. Well, that's should. We ought to have faith in all times. We ought to believe how good He is. We ought to rest in His forgiveness of us. We ought to walk with no shame. We ought to stand with confidence and march forward with courage. And we ought to have patience as we wait for Him, the confusing sovereign God, to do whatever He's doing. That's what we should do if we were any good at this worship thing we do. But we're like the couple on the road to Emmaus quite often. We really are friends of the church, friends of disciples. We really are followers of Jesus. And we really are people who are prone to forget God's promises, His power and His love for us. We think sin is too bad. Sin is too powerful. We think God is too distant. And ultimately, we're hurting. And it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to be angry at injustice, but we finally find ourselves foolish, slow of heart to believe because we're scripturally forgetful. We have that amnesia. But this is where Jesus Christ doesn't get angry at us. Jesus Christ has already died for all of our sins of being slow to believe, of being hopeless, of being wrongly anxious. And Jesus Christ loves us. He came for us. He lived for us. He died for us. He's still living for us. He's interceding with us, and He's coming to get you. He will not let His hurting children just wallow off in their sorrow and misery without coming to them. But where does Jesus meet us? If you're hurting like this on this Easter Sunday, where does He meet you? He meets you in the place of prayer. That can be in your closet, but that can be at this place He calls the house of prayer. And as we talk to God, we get stuff off our chest. As we talk to God, the Holy Spirit talks to Jesus. As we talk to God, Jesus is talking to the Father. And as we talk to God, something supernatural starts happening that I can't even explain. But He has the ability to do miraculous things on our head and our hearts. And so we, we have Jesus coming to us in the place of prayer. That's where you can find Him all the time. And we have Jesus coming to us in the place where the Word of God is found. That can be at home on your sofa. That can be with your family next to the fireplace in the evening. But it could be in the household of faith called the depository of truth. 
in the place where you have leaders who are apt to teach, where the Word of God is best presented. This is what God does. And so you, you come to church and you get Jesus through prayer. You get Jesus through His Word. And what starts happening? Your head starts remembering those things you had forgotten. Your head starts discerning between the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Your heart starts saying, I like Jesus more because He likes me so much. Your heart starts saying, I want to go that direction. And somehow you have joy that doesn't make sense, peace that doesn't make sense because Jesus is there where prayer and the Word are found in combination. And Jesus is there where there's prayer, the Word, and the Lord's Supper. That's what He does. He just keeps wanting to feast with His people, as we talked about on Thursday night. And so Jesus is there in and around the elements. His Spirit is present. And so you go to a place where there is Jesus and prayer, Jesus and Bible, Jesus and communion, and supernaturally, He starts causing your hearts to burn. That's right, hearts that were dead, hearts that were hopeless, hearts that were slow to believe are affected by Jesus who's already coming to you. And He does so in the fourth way. Jesus comes to us through prayer, through the Word, through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and in the place where His friends are found. For Jesus, who affected the couple on the road to Emmaus so that they could go and be agents of blessing to their brothers and sisters. He does that here. You go to the place, it's called the assembling of the saints, the household of God, where brothers, sisters, fathers, and mothers are found, and Jesus is there where two or three of them are gathered. And Jesus Christ somehow uses prayer, the Word, the Lord's Supper, and friends, friends with spiritual gifts, to cause us from being hopeless to having hope, from being sad to having also joy, from disbelieving to believing, from running away from the city to running right back into it on mission with love. This is what Jesus does as he takes people with bummed out hearts and helps them burn. Same day, same facts, different response. A powerful Jesus. So I end with three questions and we're done today. What are you going to do? Are you downhearted? Broken? Hurting? The inside is not all pastel and happy like the outside with your dress. Come on, Jesus is here right now. And he's here for longtime saints that are really struggling. And he's here for new saints where today is the day of salvation. Right now, Jesus has ordered the universe so that you would wake up, pass a bunch of other churches, arrive here to hear this message from this weird guy up front, but it's for you. He governs the world. He orders the steps of men. For some reason, the odd God has brought you here. You have heard this, and some of you, he is knocking on your hearts. And for the first time, 
Those eyes that couldn't see are now seeing clearly. The blinders are being taken off. You can bring all of your sin and all of your suffering to Jesus Christ right now, the great physician, and Dr. Jesus is here to save you and then to begin walking through life with you. Would you be saved today? Call upon Him right now. Then come up and tell me after, please. Then what are you going to do next week? Uh, Yeah, I know you can go talk to Jesus on your mountain. And I know He's in your closet. It's the Lord's day. This is the Lord's house. And you should be in one of them. Because that's where the Lord does His best work. It's where the Word of God is found. It's where we have been praying. That's why we sing as we are singing our prayers to God. And it's the place where communion is found. It's the place where friends in abundance can be found and made. It's a place where you can minister to them. They can minister to you. And Jesus takes bummed out hearts and causes them to burn. Where will you be next week when you are suffering with doubt again? And you will be. The answer is here or at some other church. This is what the Lord does on his day. He encourages his friends. And then finally, every single day, we've talked about today, we've talked about next Lord's Day, but every day, you are a missionary for Jesus Christ. And you have friends in this church who can't wait seven days to be encouraged by brothers and sisters. And we have friends to be made out there that are hurting without the Savior. Easter isn't such a great day for them. Oh, it's Sunday, but the foes of Jesus are really struggling. Don't buy their lie. They're not happy. They don't have joy. They don't have purpose and meaning in this life, and they're scared to death about what's over the horizon. May God cause our hearts to burn and our feet to run so our lips can boast.